everybody. I'm Pump Breaks right there. That's my good, good friend, Chris Jasper of the mighty, mighty Isley Brothers. I'm sure everybody knows who he is. Welcome to Can I Play. It's your host, Lamont, the elixir of love, Patterson. And I'm riding along with my learned colleague, Dr. Matthew Anderson, the one and only. <laughs> I'm here, buddy. Can you hear me okay? Do I sound all right to you? Oh, uh, you any sound more, wonderful. Any more weird than usual? Oh, it's good. Okay. Oh, uh, no, you sound Just wonderful, checking. man. Wonderful. No, you sound fantastic, sir. You sound like you're in good health and well taken care of and good spirits and all of that wonderful stuff. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Welcome to the show again, everybody. But, Matthew, before we get started, man, I, I decided to share um, a, a big secret with all our listeners, man. And, and I know okay. I could have told you. I know I could have told you privately, but... Um, I decided to make a public announcement, you know. Um, I fought with myself long and hard about this secret, but I'm going to let you guys know, you know, what it is. You know, I'm not going to leave you guys in suspense any longer. <laughs> oh, why are you laughing? <laughs> it sounds just like you. Well, you know. What did you do, get a haircut? No, never. not not that. I can't get rid of my antennas, but... Um, okay. You know, what I decided to do, you know, and I gave this thought long and hard, you know, so uh, I, I definitely would appreciate your support and um, our listeners' support on this new venture. And um, what that is, um, I, I decided I'm going to run for the President of the United States. All right. <laughs> oh, that's all you're you going to say is all right? You're you're, all right, I'm in. I'm in. I'm voting for you right now. I'll vote for you in a minute in a second. <laughs> All right. I ain't got, got no more time vote. for you. I ain't got no more time you got, for you. Maybe you let's see I guess with us. Uh, Mamie, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hi, Mamie. Welcome. Hello, Mamie. Well, welcome to the show, and I apologize. For, oh, well, um, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. I just, I just wanted to let everybody know, you know, what my new thing was. I decided to run for the presidency now. Well, I think Mamie? it's a good idea. Mamie, I yeah. think Mamie ought to be nominated to Secretary of State. <laughs> She'd be good for that job. Ooh. Wow. Uh, well, I think we can do just as good a job as anybody else. I guess that's my I think point. Better. And, um, I think better. You know, yeah. So that's what I agree. So, Matthew... Do the honors and uh, introduce our guests to those that don't know her. Well, welcome, Dr. Mamie Smith. We're glad to have you back. We had you on not too many weeks ago, and we we really appreciate I was going to say enjoyed, but I think to say enjoyed is not the right word given the subject that we've been talking about, which has to do with grief and loss and recovery. is a pretty serious subject. But uh, we are really glad to have you back. And I'm going to ask you, Mamie, if you don't mind, given that we have listeners out there that may not know you, what would you, in a sentence or two or three, what would you like for people who are listening today to know about you? What's kind of special that you would like them to know? And we'll start with that. Well, that... uh... I have a high sense of integrity that I look for not only in myself, but look for in other people. That is a very important thing to me, and honesty. And the key thing is being honest with oneself. And if one is honest with oneself, then he or she is going to be honest with everybody else. So I would say the key thing that I would like to throw out there for listeners is to look within your own sense of consciousness and figure out what your honesty is and your integrity is. Well, um, you got my vote on that one. I think that that would that would be a good thing for Secretary of State to to uh, have as a as a major value. Now, given given what you shared with that, um, what where do you want to take us today in terms of our conversation? Because we're really giving you a lot of space here to to take us wherever you want. Wow. Well, um, 
I'm not quite sure who was listening before, but I'll just say a little bit about um, what I do, and then where I, which will be in mm-hmm. relation to uh, where we want to go. Okay. My show, which is Talk to the Author with Dr. Mimi Smith, basically looks at many things that people are doing throughout the world. And uh, so that is what I do with myself. I look within myself and I try to figure out uh, my approach to what the world is like. And um, my topic, I consider myself as uh, an expert in, in overcoming the loss of a loved one. And the reason that I consider myself an expert is because of experience, the many, many experiences that I have had mm. in, in not only sharing with other people, but with, first of all, with overcoming the grief that I had in the loss of loved ones, particularly my daughter, which resulted in my first book, which is entitled The Unfolding of a Rose. And that book appears on Barnes & Noble, and it appears on uh, Amazon.com, as well as two of my websites. And one is theunfoldingofarose.com, and the other is smithmamie.com. Mamie, can I I ask you a question right there? Sure. I mean, all all your experiences are, are based on personal, having dealt with this stuff personally, having your own experiences. How do you feel about other professionals that call themselves experts and haven't dealt with this personally and their experiences are only from what they've read in books? Then do you I feel there's have... any value there? I think there's value there, but it's lacking because, uh, to me, if you can't walk the walk, you can't really talk the talk. And um, you can give people theory, which is what we learn in school. And, uh, for example, as a teacher, I I did student teaching. Um, But uh, if I had not gone out there and practiced, that theory would have remained that, and I would not have known how to share these experiences. I would not have known the depth of those experiences. I would not have known uh, how those experiences might impact someone else because we're all human beings, and we all share the same emotions, love, hate, anger, bitterness, resentment, commitment, intelligence, all of those human qualities, which hopefully will will escalate or to divine qualities, uh, are what we all need to learn about and share with each other. So I think if you're just espousing theory, uh, you uh, are only giving half of the picture, if that. I agree, because they don't know the other side of the picture. Lamont, did you have did you have a bad experience with this? That's an interesting question. I I, I, th- I thought it was a really interesting question to start off with. So, is that I mean is that question a loaded question? Does it come from your own experience of well, quite like professionals frankly. who really weren't there for you and. Well, I mean, they were there, you know, like Mamie just said, to the best of their ability. But if you have never put these shoes on your foot or your feet, um, you can't tell me how they fit. You could tell me how you think they fit, but you can't tell me how they fit. And having the experience of losing my son, you know, you know, I went through a couple years um of that, you know, listening to people tell me what I should think or what I should do and uh, how I should handle it. And, you know, basically, I, I was basically looking through them. I was looking at them, but I'm looking through them. And, like, you know, how could you tell me what I should do if you've never experienced yourself? You can't tell me how I feel. You can't tell me how I should feel. Where did you come up with that information from? So, yeah, that was a reason for me asking uh, yeah. that question. Because I thought they were kind of crazy. 
to um, uh, add to that, one of the first things that I would say to an individual who is going through a grief process is to admit to yourself that you are grieving. And that's kind of not what a lot of people tell people. They're trying to say, okay, you've got to figure out that you're not going to grieve. But to me, you first have to admit that you have a problem before you can address and find a solution to that problem, whatever it might be. And grief is the same way. So, so admitting that you are grieving, that's to, to me, is what I had to do. And I didn't do that for a long time because I did not know that that, that was important at that point. So I, I find that especially hard for, for men to do, Mamie, especially because, you know, we're supposed to, you know, our masculinity, you know, we the rock, you know, and usually we have to be the strong person, you know, for the family in, in cases, you know, such as this. So uh, a lot of times men don't get the space to grieve or even if they do, it comes out a whole different way. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, and I agree. You know, women, women have, you know, women get to cry. They get to, you know, do all these things that's acceptable. But you know, a lot of times, you know, the men, you know, you know, they weep on the inside, and you know, and and you know, they got all these little feelings going on. Sometimes, you know, they lash out at others. You know, sometimes it comes out in anger, and you know, sometimes it gets them in trouble because they really don't know how to, you know, handle that. Even society looks at men. When they, you know, in touch with their feelings or their emotions, they tend to look at you all like he's soft or, you know, he's weak or, you know, man up. You know what I mean? So it, I, I think it's harder for men than uh, women. It to may be because of the socialization, but nevertheless, it should be done. Um, and to your so, point, so maybe, maybe could I could I ask you a question right there? I, Sure. So, so if Lamont came to you and he was your client, what would you have done with him? Well, I probably would have asked him, "Do you know you're grieving? Have you asked yourself why you're grieving?" And then see what his answer was going to be. And then I would take it from there, because as you probably recall, that my belief in handling grief is built on a question and response. You ask God a question and you listen for a response. And then you act upon that response, whether you agree with it or whether you disagree with it. So if you agree with it, you ask yourself, well, why do I agree? So if I had asked Lamont that question and, and he said the same thing that he said, I would say, why do you feel that way? Why do you feel? Why do you feel that society should make your own decisions for you? Oh. Society is not grieving. You are the one grieving. So why would you want to take advice from society that says you're supposed to not weep, or you're supposed to be strong? Strength is not physical. Strength is, is, is mental. It's, and, so, and so they're saying, well, you're weak. Your mental capabilities are weak because you cry or because you grieve. And I would say, well, why are you letting society make your decisions for you? You're the one who's feeling. How do you feel? What's going on inside of you? It would be one question after another to get him to not answering those questions for him because I can't mm -hmm. feel for him. Mm -hmm. I'm, my job would be to get him to see who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. And that would be based on the, the answers that he gives me. Define grief. But, grief is an emotional state that of sorrow deep-seated pain that keeps a person from functioning like they normally would in daily activities. That's how I define grief. And do you find that a lot of people go through their day-to-day -day activities not even realizing that they're grieving? Yes. So that's why I would start there and then let them focus on it. And then they say, because many people, like you just said, think they're showing a sign of weakness, women too, not just men, that I've got to be strong. And that was part of my problem. Uh, I have all of my life thought that I was a strong person, but yet I would grieve in silence. I would cry in silence when no one was around. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so because I didn't want the world to see think that I was weak. And so uh but then I had to get beyond that. There's nothing wrong with crying if you feel like crying. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm hurting. And because you're trying to figure out why you're hurting, what is making you hurt, what is causing this deep seated pain that I'm feeling. So tell then, me, tell me what's what's wrong with being weak? Well, I don't perceive crying. <laughs> Nobody likes a noodle, Matt. <laughs> what's, Unless what's it's wrong on with a being... plate with sauce. I guess. Well, it's perception, I think it is. And so I don't perceive sharing one's deep-seated feelings as being weak. I don't but, perceive I mean, that. I understand, as... but I mean, why? why I'm, I'm, I'm sort of talking really to Lamont, too, here. I mean, what's wrong with being weak? I mean, everybody has a weakness. Everybody has weaknesses. Nobody's strong everywhere, right? Right. That's Lamont's question. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm interested. If you have a wise answer, I'm interested in yours too, maybe. (laughs) Nobody likes nobody likes a noodle unless it's on a plate. So what if they don't like it? What if so? What they don't like it? That's what she was saying before. You're going to let society define what's okay with you? Why why isn't it okay? As a man to have some weakness Because no, no, you know no, we, I think that are... one of the What No go ahead I'll, I'll let you finish I'm sorry So is the Is the Is the Is the goal here To be strong And if you have a weakness Then what You're not a man anymore No you could be A, 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 a man And still be addicted To alcohol Or cigarettes Or, or any other Substance you know, don't don't society consider that a weakness? Yeah, but let me just go to something more natural, like what what Mamie is talking about. You you lose a, a person, a child, or a lover, or a wife, or a husband who is incredibly dear to you. It breaks your heart. I mean, you know, it oh. it, it, it it destroys your insides. I mean, who's no strong enough to just say? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not disputing. I'm not disputing that, Matthew. Of course, mm-hmm. we hurt and we deal with that. But how many times have you seen? Uh, not even dealing with society. Deal with your family. You know, you're the oldest person in the family. You you you're the man that's been been groomed in business. Uh, you're the strongest guy, in lack of another word. You're the strongest person. You're the one that's able to handle all the affairs. You're the one that's able to handle the arrangements. You're the one that's not falling to peace and can't function because you can't even get your family through this trying time because you're all on the floor being all emotional, weeping all out of control, and even the females in your family looking at you like you're crazy. They're looking to lean on you. They're looking for you to help them through this time. So, well, yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. So to me, that that's not really a time for... I would say for, that's a false... I'm sorry. Go ahead. I would say that's a false perception of oneself, and that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You see, again, I go back to that statement of, of self-honesty, self-integrity, because if you are trying to be, and I don't mean you personally, Lamont, I mean anyone. No, I understand. Yeah, anyone trying to be weak for Joe Blow. Well, first of all, Joe Blow has to find his own inner strength. That would be that's number that's number one. Because Joe Blow cannot rely on your strength. They can pretend that they rely on your strength, but they don't, because Joe Blow's weaknesses are within himself or herself. And so it's it's incumbent upon it's incumbent upon Joe Blow to look within himself and figure out why he feels the way he feels. Now, getting back to you in in terms of trying to take care of them, that is not your responsibility. Your responsibility no, is well, to take care of yourself. This you is have, true, Mamie, You lost a loved yeah. one. Right. Now, if, like I said, you're the head of the family and there's a tragedy in your family and there's nobody else to do it, I understand you're not responsible for anybody else's feelings, but at the end of the day, certain things in regards to putting away your loved one or taking care of the necessities for that deceased person still has to get done. Now, who does it? I agree, but to me, going through physical um, 
physical activities is totally different from dealing with a mental activity within one's own self. Because to give you an example, uh, some people grieve. They don't want to get out of the bed. They stay in the bed. They want their heads covered, and they can't function. That I didn't grieve that way. I grieved by work, 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 work. And the reason I was doing all of this work, I wanted to be constantly busy because I felt, which was I was lying to myself, I felt that if I stayed constantly busy, I wouldn't have to think about my daughter's no longer here. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's what I did for too long to busy myself. Would you call that, uh, would you call getting busy in the midst of grief an avoidance of grief? Yes, exactly. Okay. And that's the point I'm trying to make with Lamont. You can still take care of human activities, even if you're grieving. You might not, you may be walking around with a sense of numbness while you're doing it, but there's a certain amount of human intelligence that allows most people, especially if you're the the one the leader in your family you're gonna you're gonna you can do that it's those people who cannot function and i'm not belittling anyone if you cannot function because you're grieving that's where we need to start and get you to function and mm-hmm. to figure out why you can't function what is it that's making you stay in the bed with the cover over your head what are you running from what do you think uh, go, the cover of your about, head is doing for you yeah what about go to the bar and stay at the bar for three or four days, getting blasted? That's another sign of avoidance. The same thing. There are many human ways that people avoid looking at the truth. The truth is, humanly, your child passed away. That's the truth. That's the human truth. And until you recognize my daughter, my son, passed away, he's not going to live here on earth anymore. You've got to tell yourself that and recognize that that is your human truth at that moment. Covering your head is not going to make that truth go away. And see, that's what total honesty is. A lot of people lie to themselves. And if you lie to yourself, you're going to fail. Part of the process of healing process of grief is to be brutally honest with yourself. Not brutally honest with John or Mary. Because Mary and John are dealing with what they have to deal with. It might not be grief, but it may be something else. So that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to deal with Lamont's grief and to be totally honest with Lamont. And that's true, but most people lie to themselves. Because the first thing you ask them, how are you doing? Oh, I'm all right, you know, I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm taking one day at a time. I'm all right. I mean, that's the pat answer, but... Are you truly all right? Because I know for experience, you know, I was in a daze for about two years and didn't realize it. But I did know I didn't want to work with, you know, certain individuals in the music industry. I, I knew that part of it, but I didn't know I was really walking around in this funk for two years. Well, then how were you defining all right? Just just by all right. I was half functioning. You know, I was half going through it. You know what I mean? Oh, my my heart wasn't in my work anymore. I'm, I'm, I understand that now. But what I'm saying to you, let's pretend you're back there two, uh, many years ago. You're, we're right there. Your child has just passed away. And I say, Lamont, how are you feeling? And you say, I'm all right. My question, I would say, how are you defining all right? What no, I, I probably couldn't answer you. And if you'd asked me that then, I'd probably look at you like you was crazy too. I'm like, <laughs> under the circumstances, why in hell would you ask me how I'm doing? How would you be doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? You just lost your. But kid. that's what I would want you to say. Well, that, that, I would that, be brutally honest and say that too. Other than that, I would give you one. And if you don't get out of my face, look. <laughs> you know? Well, that and that and that's part of your grief. That would be part of your grief. You express it anger. for grief. Yeah. You mean anger? Yes. Yeah, anger, denial. Denial is one of the yeah. first things. You know, and, and, and that too, Mamie, people were trying to be helpful, and I got that later. I didn't get it instantly, immediately. Mm-hmm. I got it later because a lot of people just 
don't know what to say. And I think in certain situations it's best not to say nothing. Just the fact that you're there speaks volumes. But sometimes the wrong things come out of their mouth like, oh, I know how you feel. Uh, you, you'll be all right. Just give us some time. And, you know, you, you don't want to be rational at that instant. You know what I mean? You're not trying to – you're not there yet. So I think well, a lot of times people don't know what to say. I agree 100%. But, uh, no, if you if I were going to your awake or, or your uh, funeral – I wouldn't treat you like I would treat you if you were coming to me for help. You see what I'm saying? That would not be the appropriate time to start delving into your consciousness. But, but, um, but what I'm, I'm talking about, you're coming to me for help because you realize that there's something there that you need help with. So my job would be to make you see what that help is that you need let make you see what it is that that's that that's causing you to grieve mm-hmm. but the average joe blow the average person is not when they say well i know how you feel like you're saying they don't know what how you feel unless they have lost a child they have an idea how you feel but they don't know exactly then because they don't know what is causing you to grieve is it guilt well, Mammy, let's jump across the street for a minute. Let's let, let's bring that 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 old subject in it that a lot of people don't like to talk about. They never get to agree on, and that's religion. Because okay. uh, through this whole thing that I dealt with, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners experienced this too. You know, if they lost um, a child at an early age or uh, any loved one, you okay. know, it's at some point you you question your faith. Uh, why did God do this? I mean, what did I do to cause this? You know, um, you know, you go down that little road for a minute, and you know, then people tell you, well, and even yourself, you know, God take the innocent early, and you know, different things. So, how, how do you feel about that? Do you, did you have a question, or when you're talking to clients, I mean, that have questioned their faith uh, because of a loss? I questioned mine. Uh, I one of the questions that I asked God was, "Why have you forsaken me?" I did everything that I thought you wanted me to do. At the time, I was acting uh, almost like a minister. In, in my church, I'm a Christian Scientist, and in my church, we ha- don't have ministers. We have readers, and the readers read from a, the Bible. Those lessons are prepared by the Mother Church in Boston, and they're sent throughout the world to every person, and we all do the same lesson every, uh, at the same time, not necessarily the same time, but the same lesson on Sunday. Wednesdays, the person who is the first reader, which is who I was, and you're elected by your, your, your local church, and my church is Rochester, Michigan, and, and so you're elected by the members of your church, and so for your understanding of the Bible, your spirituality that they see you exhibit, there are many ways that they, reasons that they elect you. Well, I was reading and studying the Bible every day. I prepared lessons for Wednesday to, for my congregation. So I was acting in the capacity of a minister to make it so the audience will understand what I'm talking about. And so, and I was listening to God. I must have prepared those lessons, read those lessons. Most of my day, every day for that three-year period, was devoted to learning, listening, studying, praying. So I was very in tune with God when my daughter passed away. So that is why I was angry with him, because we believe in Christian science that there's nothing you cannot heal, including cancer and that's what my daughter had and the medical world had bummed out they could they couldn't do nothing she'd gone that route and and they they couldn't do anymore and they had put her in hospice well i truly believed that she would be healed metaphysically because that's the power of god and that healing that faith was not based on reading a book it was based on the numerous healing experiences for 35 years that I had had. 
and I hadn't healed, hadn't been healed. I had been healed of what looked like maybe cancer. I didn't have it diagnosed. That's one of the things I don't do. I don't go to doctors and diagnose things. I go to God. And and so, and I had numerous of healings. So there was nothing for me to not believe that this would not be healed. My daughter just made the decision that she wanted to go the route of metaphysics after she had gone the route with the medicine. Well, how did so, you make peace with that with that fact, though, that she died and you, you felt like God had let you down or betrayed you? Which Yes, I did. How, how strong was that feeling? I mean, did you feel betrayed? That was a very strong feeling. I was very angry with God, and I asked him that question. And I when I asked way. that question, <laughs> you asked that question too. What was No, I was angry. Was. No, I felt the same way. I was really, really, really pissed off. Yes. And, and, and I don't sugarcoat that. I was really angry with God. I felt he hadn't lived up to what I thought he should live up to. Just putting it in so that everybody can understand what I felt. That was my total honesty. And when I asked him that question, I knew to listen for an answer. And I shared this before, was the answer was, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Well, of course, that just made me more angry. Because, first of all, I didn't understand how that applied to my situation. And so I kept yelling at him for several months with that same question. And every time I did... I got the same answer. But I was continually studying and praying and believing in him. I didn't stop believing in him. It's like your child. You get angry with your child, but that doesn't mean you love them less or you stop believing in who they are. So I didn't stop believing in God. I was just angry that he didn't do what I figured he should have done. So with that growth that I was going through, what emerged in my consciousness was, God has given you an answer. Explore that answer so that you can understand why he keeps telling you that. So that's what I began to do. That's why I say when you get an answer, make it formulate another question. So I said, well, what does chastening mean? I had an idea humanly. But I needed a deeper. Well, we know human chasing means to purify. Well, I asked God, well, what do I need purifying? I've been serving you. You know, what do I need? Well, slowly I began to understand that I had been trying to understand death when I should have been trying to understand life. But that emerged about a year later, nobody had taught me that. Nobody had told me that. I'd read it in a book, but I hadn't. I didn't really know the essence of what that meant because I had just read it as theory. Now I've got to make it practicality. So I said, well, what does that really mean? Well, another definition of life emerged. Life is not activity of the physical body or the physical body having being warm that doesn't define life life is expressing the divine qualities of god and i began to identify those qualities love respect faith and i needed faith hope determination persistence And all of those things were what I needed to get me through that process. And then I give this definition of life. It's the divine activity of thought. And when your consciousness is clear of all of this garbage that we learn as human beings, you begin to understand what true life is. And I define true life with a capital L, God. Life to me is another name for God. And as I began to explore that, if God is life, 
God was never born, and God doesn't die. And then I say, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm not God. Well, then another, that's the question that I ask. The answer emerged that, go back to Genesis 127, and that verse says that man is made in the image and likeness of God. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, man's made in the image and likeness of God. How does that, how does that compare, or, or, or how do I associate that with what life, God is life? Well, what does image mean to you, Mamie? Well, <clears throat> I begin to focus on image. If I stand in front of the mirror and look at myself, I am seeing my replica, the exact who person who I looks like me. If I raise my arm, that image is going to do the same thing. I shake my head, it's going to do the same thing. So then I so so image then is a reflection of the true being. So then now let me apply that to God and me, or dot God and my daughter. If God is life and my daughter is made in his image and likeness, she is the reflection of who he is. Am I making any sense? Yes. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. So if 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 she is the reflection of who he is, and I understand him because I had a very good workable understanding of all my years of working with this, of who, what life as God was or is, to me, God is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no ending. Now I'm going to apply that to my daughter as his reflection. My daughter has no beginning and she has no ending. And then I say, well, yeah, she was born. I was there. <laughs> She died in my arms. I was there. That was the ending. But then then I said, well, how does that work? Well, the answer was that you need to understand your daughter's true identity. You don't know that right now. You're defining her as a physical being, which is what most of us do as humans. But to work through that, you've got to see her in a different light, and that's where religion comes in, or your faith comes in. I don't speak of religions. I speak of spirituality, because I don't care what religion you are. To me, the key is spirituality, not religion. Religion to me are doctrines, beliefs. But spirituality is what you live and what you do and what you understand. And so I I had to get on the page with, Defining my daughter's true identity. And that identity, like your son, Lamont, is a, is a child made in the image and likeness of God, reflecting the divine qualities of God. And he reflects life, and life is eternal. So your son then could not have lived in that physical body because that body passed away. You saw that. Then you say, well, what, who is my son? What defines who he is? That's what I ask myself. It was the love that she shared, the kindness, the humor, the devotion she was. She was a people person. All of those things, I began to just see so many of the qualities that I define as spiritual that my daughter exhibited. And then I ask myself, do I still have that? Yes, I do, because I'm sharing them now with you. They didn't leave because her body passed away. They still exist. They exist with the people that she shared kindness with. They exist, her persistence and her her perseverance exist with how she did her work. All of that is eternal. The problem that I have with traditional religion is that 
we don't understand the true concept of man and man's relation to God. And when you understand that, then you know that your life is truly eternal. And I'm going to pause. And I was going to ask you, why do you think that men don't understand that? Because I hear it. I hear it uh, from the people who are our ministers. Most of them, as we mentioned at the beginning of this, have not walked the walk. I was talking with a person at church today, and I'm trying to convince him to come on my show. He has been in the presence of bringing a person back to life, just as Jesus did, nine times. I have seen my husband come back to life twice. So I know that's a possibility. But the ministers don't teach us that. They teach us that, oh, you're going to have life everlasting, but it's going to be after you die and go to heaven. That's what we're taught in the churches today. Most people don't talk like I'm talking. Am I right? True. That's true. Because most people haven't experienced it. They heard about it, but they haven't experienced it. Exactly. But you've got to believe there are stages that you go through in anything in life, and one of them is intuition, believing, thinking there's got to be something better than what's going on. The next stage is hope. Well, I don't know what it is, but I just hope it's out there. You haven't experienced anything, but you just got a sense of hope. And then the next one is faith, faith that, yeah, it's out there. I just got to go find it. That's what faith makes you do. It makes you go out and seek it and, and, and make it work for you. And then once you get through the faith stage, you get through understanding. Understanding comes after you have made it work for you. That's the part that we don't get in most religions. We get the faith part, but that's where we stop. But once you get to the faith part, you've got to walk the walk. You, if you don't walk the walk, you're not going to get the spiritual understanding that that walk brings you. And then once you get that spiritual understanding that that walk brings you, you will see the fruitage from that walk. And the fruitage will be, your, my grief disappeared. I no longer grieve for my daughter. She just Her birthday would have been the 4th of February of this month. That's when she mm. was born. When the early stages when I was struggling, I hated for the 4th to come. She passed away April 20th. I hated for April 20th to come. Because I was going to bring up all of that when she was born and she was a little baby and now I don't have her. And in and, and 20th, she died in my arms and all of that. That's what happened while I was going through the struggle. You know what happened this last time? February what? 4th went by and I never thought it was my daughter's birthday. That's were, you busy? were you busy or you just didn't think about no. it? No. What happened was I don't see that as her birthday anymore. Remember I talked about life having no beginning and no ending. Right. So to me, she didn't begin February 4th. She has always existed, and she still exists. So why would April 20th be important to me? She didn't die then. Her true identity didn't die. She wasn't born February 4th. She existed before that physical body came into the world. So that's the extent of healing. That's the fruitage. Now you understand what I mean by fruitage. That's why I wanted to give you the example. That's the, how the Christ heals within your consciousness. You don't make it happen. You just walk the walk, and God makes it happen. Mamie, in uh, Christian science, do you believe, uh, is it taught that people have assigned times to leave their bodies? No. That's not something that we um, teach. Um, we basically teach what you're hearing. But every decision is, is an individual one. Nobody tells you how to walk the walk. Mary Baker Eddy is the founder of Christian Science. And, and she wrote a book called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. What I do, and most Christian scientists do, is I read 
I like the King James Version of the Bible. I don't particularly care for all these new versions. I like to give me that King James Version, and then I'll use a concordance to help me understand it. Some of the, but uh, I read that book, and I read Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures because it's called a key to the Scriptures, which means it unlocks the Scriptures for your mental capabilities. That's why she named it that. And so uh, it's that if that book is in about fifteen or sixteen different languages throughout languages throughout the world. So we believe. Me being Christian scientists believe that growth comes with rising above the spirit, the physical nature of man, and we believe that man is healed based on divine law, and that law is that God made everyone in His image and likeness, and that person, the man that you see walking, is not the man that God created. I know that's different from what most religions teach. The physical person is not the creation of God. It's the spiritual person is what God created. A lot of people say that, but they don't understand what they mean when they say that. They think there's somebody way up there that they're going to get maybe later. You can walk the walk actually now. You can live spiritually now. Now, do I live as spiritually as Jesus lived? No, I don't. I don't have the understanding that he has. But I can do a large portion of it based on my understanding. And that's what everybody can do. It's not something that's given to one person. We all have that capability. Because God can make a difference. (laughs) Why can five people read the same scripture and come away with a different meaning? Because of their what's going on in their their understanding, we don't all understand. Understanding comes with walking the walk, reading, walking the walk. If you don't walk the walk, you don't understand. And once you understand, you get the faith. Like as I gave you the stages, fruition, and then the last one is reality, knowing that it's this is the real stuff. The spiritual stuff is the real stuff not the physical stuff. That's the final one. And you reach that level. And people read the Bible and can't come away with what they get based on their understanding. And if you don't raise your level of thinking, you're going to stay basically, you're never going to stay in the same place. You're going to retrogress. You can only progress when your spirituality grows. If it doesn't grow, it's going to retrogress. You don't I stay like in the word. same place. I like that so you're going to go backwards. Yes. Don't retrogress. Go backwards Matthew. or forwards. What? Don't met- don't retrogress. <laughs> Maybe he's going to use that on me. I know this for, for like months. I'm going to hear this now. He taught him a I new just, word. He's just going to be just like started. a kid <laughs> don't candy retrogress, shop. Matthew. Yes. <laughs> no, I I think that it's a day-to-day process. Just like you get up and go to your job. Now, let's take you, Lamont, because I know more about what you do because you're coming on my show. You didn't become all of these things that you do when you were 16. You had no semblance of understanding of what you understand now. Am I correct? Partially. I was great before I even knew I was great. Though. <laughs> I know you were great, but you're greater now. True. Am I right? True. true. So true. Okay. Well, that's the example I'm trying to use. You were 16. I'm just going to pull out a, n- a number. You were 16 You didn't know about acting like you do. You didn't know about making music. You didn't know about doing artists. You didn't know about publishing books and all of these other 99 things that you do. You learn those things step by step, and in the process of learning those things, you grew in your understanding. Am I correct? 
You're so correct. And Matthew, I didn't pay her to say that either. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> then you know he might he might tell he himself the, the truth, way. but he doesn't, he doesn't always tell me the truth. Pardon? So no, I that makes sense. I understand. I mean, it, it, every whatever level of maturity or understanding that we approach anything with, you know, is is dictates or shapes what we get from. It's like if a five year old says, Mommy, where do babies come from? Well they're not gonna get the same answer that a twenty five year old would get if if that question was answered. So, you know, Lamont, if we, we come to a section of scripture it depends on where we are and what we've been through and, and you know, what we've studied and all that. It's whether we have an internal vessel big enough to hold a bigger meaning, we get something. And as Mamie's saying, maybe we continue to grow based on what we get, you know. So is or that we why go the Bible so, so is that why the Bible's been rewritten? Uh, I... I <laughs> I'm sorry, Mamie, but Matthew did it. He made me ask that question. I did not. I did not. And what do you mean rewritten? Well, there's how many versions are there now? There's only basically one. There's 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 canonized versions of Jewish scripture and Christian scripture that if you can go around the world and find basically the same one. And what Mamie's talking about. Uh, King James Version is is not any basically any different from any other one. It's just the one that uh, was was written or in uh, England. I think what maybe in the 1700s. I think when that version came out. But version doesn't mean the that Old they, Testament versus the New Testament. And when those books are transcribed or anything written in, they're they're out. not really rewritten. If you when when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls a number of years ago and they found stuff that was far more ancient than any copies we had, one of the things that was wonderful about it is that they saw that what was written in Old Testament books, in, and I think there's mostly that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, was almost identical to what we still have now, which gave people the understanding and, and the awareness that these things have been highly preserved in most cases because it's People consider it sacred, they treat it that way. So there's really not a lot of dramatically different versions. It's maybe, um, for example, in the King James Version, they use the word charity instead of love. Um, but in King James' time, that's what that meant. I mean, it's the, the Greek word for love, was, it's the same word. And, and we have Greek translations. Huh? I forgot how old you are. I said, I forgot how old you are. I'm sorry. You forgot how old I am. <laughs> I guess, my, and I agree with you, my my reason for saying I prefer the King James Version is because there's a New World Bible. There's a this kind of a Bible. There's a that kind of a Bible. And mm-hmm. I have uh, read those, and many times... They have tried to, and I, I, maybe I shouldn't, that's a strong word, try to. They have explained their understanding of what, let's just take the, what I said, uh, man made in the image and likeness of God. That's King James Version. That's strictly from there. They have taken as an example that and explained it in their own words. Well, I don't need them to do that for me. Now, does that make sense? I don't, I don't want them doing that for me because I want to read exactly what it says in that Bible myself and allow God to guide me in my understanding based on where I am and what I'm dealing with. So I don't need someone to rewrite that for me. That's well, why I understand I what you mean if, it's, if, it's, yeah. if that version is a kind of colloquialism, but isn't in, in, I was raised on the King James Version, um, as a child, that's what everybody in the, in the Baptist church used it, you know, and I often wondered why they used the word charity, like in the in the book of Corinthians. But in in Corinthians, where it talks about love, the Greek word is agape. They use that word. Everybody translates the King, the King James, the Revised Standard, those things. They go back to that same scripture, and they take the word agape, for example, which means uh, God's love. 
and as, as opposed to uh, brotherly love or something like that. But I'm, I, I don't want to get lost in this. And it's interesting to me, but I don't want to get lost into it. Maybe what I'm hearing is you, when you had this massive, terrible loss in your life, you went to your faith and even allowed your faith to deepen and expand in your process of doing, dealing with your grief. Am I right about that? Exactly. Exactly. And, and go ahead. And would you say that that that's something that you recommend to other people who are going through great loss yep. is yes. to, to try um, to find the faith, their faith as something to help them through it. Exactly. And if they don't have that faith, start where you are. That's the reason I say it's not important what where I am. The important thing is where the person is that's going through the right. grief. Let's let's say the mm-hmm. person says, "Well, I don't believe in God." Well, you can't yeah. start there with that person. You have to say, then, well, what do you believe in? And let mm-hmm. them tell you what they believe in. And you don't criticize what they believe in. You start exactly where they are with them, and you walk with them step by step. Right. And you you try to get them to to, to come up with the answers by your questions. Right. And and then they maybe they after a while maybe they want might want to read a, a Bible or something maybe they won't maybe they want to go to a, a support group maybe they want to talk to their minister maybe just to see what he says or maybe they don't have a minister maybe they want to go to a doctor and talk to him about grief. Right. My thing maybe, is not to say what you should do. <clears throat> Mamie, let me let me jump in here right quick. We're down to the last minute and a half of the show, and I want to give you this opportunity to tell our listeners how they can reach out and get in touch with you so you can give them your information, please. Okay. Well, you can uh, contact me at Smith Mamie, S-M-I-T-H-M-A-M-I-E, at Y, like G, but this is Y, Ymail.com, Smith Mamie at Ymail.com, and I do respond to people. I Right, all the time responding to people. So I will respond. Um, the other thing that you can do, if you don't want to uh, use an email, you can go to um, on the unfolding, not the, go to unfoldingofarose.com and use the contact page and get me that way. I will respond to that. Or you can Great. go to smithmamie.com and do the same thing. <clears throat> Well, thank you so much. Mamie, Mamie uh, it's been Pastor. great having you great. tonight. Uh, we really appreciate you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having and, me. And if we come up with some more questions, we're going <laughs> to call you back again. <laughs> we well, will. Bye-bye. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank God you so much. You. And, God bless and, you. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. God bless. That was Dr. Mamie Smith, everybody. Come back and join Dr. Matthew Anderson and myself next week, same time, on Can Play a Play. Thank you so much for your support. We love you all. Have a great day. You too, buddy. <laughs>